Lord willing, we are one week away from reuniting in person as a church family. To come together physically in one place to worship the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We've missed it. Worship, that is. Worship together. Most of us understand the teaching Jesus gave in John 4 to the woman at the well. Jesus said the Father is looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship after Pentecost when God made his spirit available to be inside every believer can happen anywhere at any time, not just when the temple is open at Jerusalem, not just when the church doors are open. I think most of us get that, which is radical and wonderful and extraordinary. But there's also something about meeting together that is good and right and God-ordained. Today we are in Psalm 122 in the Songs of Ascent in the Book of Psalms. These are songs for the discipleship journey. And this song is about worship. The discipleship journey involves both learning about worship and giving worship to the one who is worthy of it. It's pretty clear that there is a rhythm to life. COVID quarantining has sort of messed this up for most of us. But the rhythms of life are still there. There is a 24-hour rhythm. Evening and morning, night, day. Asleep, awake, work, rest. There's a seven-day rhythm with a God-ordained Sabbath rest on the seventh day. There are weeks and months and seasons and years and seasons of years and something about seven years and something biblically about 40 years and 400 years. When the psalmist says, I rejoice to go up to the house of the Lord, he's speaking about the annual pilgrimages to the temple to remember God's goodness and greatness. They were, the people of Israel, a rescued people. The feast of the Passover celebrated that. They were a commanded people, the feast of Pentecost. And they were a blessed people, feast of tabernacles. The people of Israel went to Jerusalem to praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given them to honour the true king of Israel in the line of David who brings peace, that is, shalom. Shalom to all who would trust in his name. We're still doing this today. Worshipping the name of the Lord according to the truth of his word, honouring the king who brings peace. We worship with a seven-day rhythm, not because of the Sabbath so much as because of the fact that Sunday is the Lord's day, the day Jesus rose again from the grave. We worship, whether it's together online or together in person, because we are designed to worship. And we are designed to worship the one whose name is matchless. I'm going to be a bit cheeky and I'm going to jump up and down a little bit on this psalm, Psalm 122, and see if we can land somewhere in the New Testament to talk about what Psalm 122 was dreaming about. I wonder, have you ever played the matching pairs memory game? You turn over a card and try to remember where it is in the matrix of cards 
and then you flip over another card and try to match them up. The pair might be the exact same picture or it might be something of a similar equivalent. If I turned over a, a picture of a daffodil, what would be an equivalent pair? I guess some sort of flower. If I turned over a photo of a Toyota Corolla, what would be an equivalent match? A Mazda. A soccer ball. A pair of spectacles. What about an artist's impression of Jesus Christ? Don't answer that one because the correct answer is that there is no match in the matching game for Jesus Christ because he is matchless. Amen. His name is matchless in worth. And that is why we agree with the psalmist who said in Psalm 122, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We worship the one whose worth is matchless. Acts 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. The passage goes on to say that after the healing, Peter got to preach the gospel to another crowd and he gave it a really good go until some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came up and stopped him and in fact uh, put Peter and John in jail. Acts chapter 4 verse 4 says, Many put their trust in Jesus and by this stage there were about 5,000 believers. Not a bad church growth in the first century as the church exploded onto the scene. The next day, Peter and John are brought before the high priest and some of his family, Acts 4 verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name 
under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The church has been launched. The Holy Spirit is empowering God's people to such an extent that the teachers of the law specifically ask, by what power or what name did you do this, this healing? These works were done in the name of Jesus, the matchless name of Jesus. To do something in the name of is to act under the authority of that name. In the name of the law, the sheriff makes his arrest. To do something in the name is also to invoke the power of the presence of the name. When Peter spoke in the name of Jesus, he was invoking the presence of Jesus and all that comes with the very presence of Jesus being right there in that situation. The name of Jesus is the name of the one who had called his disciples to follow him. This is the name of the Lord who was worthy to be worshipped in Psalm 122 more than 1,000 years earlier and was still worthy of worship in the first century and is still worthy of worship today, maybe 3,000 years on from the first singing of Psalm 122. For Peter, worshipping the name of Jesus began back in Matthew 4.18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You can imagine Peter and Andrew might have seen him from a distance and said to each other, Isn't that Jesus of Nazareth, a name which Peter and Andrew knew little of? Matthew, the writer of this particular gospel we're reading from, on the other hand, knew all about the person of Jesus before sitting down and writing his account. Matthew, it seems, wrote his account of the gospel with his own Jewish people in mind. In fact, he He absolutely loads up his gospel with information, with truth about the worth of this new name. Peter and Andrew are being introduced to Jesus. When we think of those amazing words, follow me, it can be helpful to turn them around and consider me follow. Who was it that was asking the question? Whose name in detail were the pilgrim worshippers on their way to Jerusalem going to worship in Psalm 122. Matthew, in just four chapters, in the lead-up to the call of Peter and Andrew, has given us no less than 20 reasons why Jesus' name is matchless in worth. Let's take a couple of minutes to, to bed down our understanding of why We come together to worship his name. His name is matchless. Matthew begins chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, Jesus is matchless because he is firstly the saviour. It's what the name Jesus means. One who will save. Matthew says Jesus is secondly Messiah. Christ means Messiah. It's, It's not his last name. Jesus is the one Israel has been 
waiting for the promised Messiah. He is thirdly the son of David. He is of the kingly line of Judah, Israel's true king. He is, number four, the son of Abraham. Jesus goes right back to the original promise to Father Abraham. The name Jesus means saviour, Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Fifthly, Jesus is the centre of history. The genealogies of Israel's history all point to Jesus at the centre. All of history ever since looks back to Jesus at the centre. I think you probably know this, but you are not the centre. And I'm not the centre of history. Billions have come and gone. Generations have come and gone. Countries and kings and presidents and queens, rulers and dictators have come and gone. And at the centre of history, one man remains. His name is the matchless name. The name who is worthy of our praise. That's the first half of chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel, speaking largely to the people of Israel. The second half of chapter 1 says in verse 18, Jesus is born of a virgin. Six, fully human, yet seven, fully divine. Chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 8. He is sovereign over the wise. The wise men come and worship him, fully man, fully God, sovereign over the wise. Matthew 2, 6. Matthew quotes Micah the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He is shepherd of the weak, sovereign over the wise, and shepherd of the weak. Number 10. He escapes to Egypt. And the parallel with Israel's time in Egypt and the Exodus is unmissable. He inaugurates a new exodus, a new story of rescue and redemption. He has come to set captives free. 11th, verse 18, Matthew quotes Jeremiah after the exile. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus has come to end the exile. He's going to bring the sinful and estranged back to their God. The end of chapter 2 sees Jesus returning to Israel and living in Nazareth. Twelfth, Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. He's come to save people who seek to kill him. Chapter 3, John the Baptist tells us that The kingdom of heaven has come near, and with the kingdom has come a king. 13, Jesus is the saviour king. 14, and he is the righteous judge. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chafe with unquenchable fire. He will judge the living and the dead. Matthew 3.16, he is filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, 16, loved by the Father. This is my Son, with him I am well pleased. This sets the stage for the temptation 
Jesus is tempted as Adam was tempted, but he does not sin. 17. Jesus is the new Adam, sinless, obedient. 18. He's the true Israel. Deuteronomy 8 is quoted, Man lives not on bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. And Deuteronomy 6, worship the Lord alone. He resists temptation. Filled with the Spirit, loved by God the Father, new Adam, true Israel. Matthew 4.16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. He is the light of the world. And finally, verse 15, Galilee of the Gentiles. The Gentiles represent the non-Jews. He is the hope of the nations. Saviour, Messiah, Son of David, Son of Abraham, centre of history. Fully human, fully God, sovereign over the wise, shepherd of the weak, inaugurator of the new exodus, ender of exile, lover of his enemies. He is the saviour, king and righteous judge, filled with the spirit, loved by the father, the new Adam, true Israel, light of the world, hope of the nations. Jesus is Lord. His name is matchless in weight and wonder gravity and glory. When you understand this Jesus, you either turn and run or you bow and worship. Turn and run or bow and worship. Those pilgrim Israelites singing Psalm 122 could only dream of the victory we know Jesus has won over sin, death and the devil. We gather together online and in person because the name of Jesus is worthy to be praised. Psalm 122 says, The tribes of the Lord gather to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. His name is worthy to be praised. In our song, our posture, our words, our prayers, our service, our work, our family, our resources, our heart's affection. Imagine you've just led a person to Christ and they're asking you what they should expect regarding changes in their life now that they're a Christian. And you decide to quite literally describe what good church-going weekly attendance with serving and giving might look like. So you explain, well, now that you're a Christian, you need to come to a building filled with other Christians on a Sunday morning. And they say, oh, I'm normally uh, taking it easy on Sunday morning because it's, it's a dual-income house we live in and the kids play sport on Sundays. You know, we're actually really, really busy all week. So uh. so then you say, well, well, that's going to have to change. And when you come on Sunday, uh, you're going to dress up in, in basically your Sunday best. And uh, you're going to start singing again. Probably you haven't sung since school choir. But uh, you're going to start singing again. And sooner or later, you're going to have to enjoy teaching other people's kids at Sunday school. Uh, so they say, right, so every Sunday morning, come and sing out loud with others and teach kids at Sunday school. Yep, you say, and, and you need to start giving at least 10% of your income to God in the offering. Right. And there'll be 
a, a little bit of disunity along the way after a while and you're going to get offended because of what seems like injustice and probably is within within this communal life of the church and you also need to join a bible study midweek and maybe start doing door knocking a little bit for some evangelism and if you're really committed you'll come twice on sunday once in the morning and once at night so this is a caricature of the rhythms of a Christian. And, and that caricature has probably largely been dismantled in Australia over the past 25 years and replaced with come to church twice per month and be a bit of a spectator. Don't get too involved. It's all religion and politics. Stay on the edges. The people of Israel had rhythms in their lives. Daily prayers of commitment to the Lord, weekly Sabbaths, yearly pilgrimages. We need rhythms. The old school rundown of church that I just went through can easily be held up, as many have done, and mocked and ridiculed and called old-fashioned. But you know, as honestly, as I've observed the last 30 years of Christianity in Australia and been part of it, and I've watched the public figures, the authors, write their next cutting-edge books about some new boutique radical way to do church. And I've watched some of them try those things, actually try, and probably not achieve a whole lot, to be honest. It's always brought me back to what Psalm 122 says. It's a really good and wholesome and life-giving thing to regularly go to a place of gathering on the Lord's Day to worship, typically Sunday, to come together and worship the name above all names, to worship his matchless name and remember where we find truth for the coming week and remember where we find grace and mercy to reset our minds and hearts and be encouraged to keep walking the discipleship journey and to keep investing our time, treasure and talent into that which will make an impact for eternity, to keep serving the least and the lost and the foolish and the found, to keep loving people in Jesus' name until he returns, looking to find faith on the earth. Hebrews says in chapter 10, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whether it's online or together in person, on a Sunday or a Saturday or Monday to Friday, may the name of the Lord be praised at Northern Life and may peace be found in our city and beyond as we continue to worship the name above every other name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ.